Alright guys, welcome back to Filmcraft. I'm joined today by Sarah Rose. Or sorry, is it Sarah Rose or Sarah Rose Bergman, do you prefer? Uh, I go by Sarah Rose Bergman, and anybody who knows me calls me Sarah Rose. Okay, we're here with Sarah Rose Bergman, and uh, she's quite an accomplished filmmaker. She started off with uh, as an associate producer on a award-winning documentary, Awake the Life of Yoga Nanda. Am I pronouncing that right? That is correct. Awesome, and I went to Sundance. Um, and then she had a lot of work in documentaries, which I will definitely be asking you about Metallica, Some Kind of Monster. I have such a soft spot for Metallica. <laughs> and <laughs> then uh, she moved on to writing and directing herself, and she had a short that toured the festival circuit and seemed to have done t quite well. And she's prepping her first uh, feature film for the summer, which is micro-budget, much like we talk about here. So, Sarah, thanks for doing the show, and welcome. Oh, thanks for having me. Nice to meet all your listeners. Yeah, I'm sure they're going to be stoked to hear about uh, what you've done. <laughs> so uh, let's start from the beginning there. We always talk about film school and whether it was worth it or not, what your experiences were like. You did go to film school, so what was it like? Yeah, um, so I applied for to three colleges, and I got into all three, and the University of Iowa offered me a full-ride academic scholarship. And I kind of, to me, it was a no-brainer at that point. I had always loved independent film and knew that, you know, it wasn't going to be an overnight success. And the thought of having $200,000 in debt when I graduated it just didn't seem to make sense for an independent filmmaker. So um, University of Iowa, like I said, gave me a full ride as long as I kept my GPA above a 3.5. So I went there. I know I was not known for film. It was still, I was right on the cusp. It was a communications degree. And uh, I was grandfathered in. They, the next year after I graduated, they built a film and comparative literature department. But at the time, they only allowed 16 to 20 students in a year. Oh, so wow. it was a very tight-knit film school. And I think part of it was just because of the lack of equipment that you had available. <laughs> and, you know, on the weekend, you'd all fight to get down to rent, the, you know, to sign up. And they only had, like, two or three film cameras. But we learned everything from film to editing on the, you know, editing film. And I remember cutting on Final Cut 1 and Premiere, if you remember Premiere when it first came out, it would only export like a two-by-two two box. And, you know, so you'd sit there and work on this amazing three-minute short film, right? And I'd take it home, show my parents, like, look what, I'm, what I've accomplished. And I'd put the VHS in the, you know, in the recorder and it'd pop up and it'd be this tiny little square <laughs> and I guess my parents were, like, expecting it to be, you know, Hollywood production. Yeah, and everything. They're like, what is going on in that square? And I'm like, oh, it's great. Trust me. But um, what was cool about film school, you know, besides not, like, I left there with, like, $5,500 in debt. That's because I bought a car and a computer. That's really not that bad. Out. That's nothing. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I worked eight jobs, you know. So okay, that's I, a was, lot. I still had to pay for my books, like, and uh, housing and stuff. But... What was so cool about film school at Iowa that really helped me out when I moved to Los Angeles was there was no, like, oh, you want to be a director? Okay. Or you want to be a writer? Okay. It was like, you did everything. You were the writer. You were the director. You were the performer. You were the editor. You did lighting. So I kind of knew a little bit about everything when I left there. And that was amazing That's experience, fantastic. especially for an indie filmmaker. So if someone 
if you were to give advice to someone and they were in a situation where they had a choice between going to a film school where it was very specific and you could focus on directing or writing like you said or one that was much more general and you would learn everything what would you tell them if they were set on going to school i would say get a well-rounded education it's going to pay off if you want the only thing that i was bummed about when i first moved to los angeles was i knew no one like nobody i had no connections and i uh online had signed up in that first weekend i was there worked on an indie indie short film for free of course of and course. met some people and you know for the next two years worked as a second ad under that first ad and that was a great experience but what i what i saw with usc and even nyu and whatnot was Yes, you got a great education. I'm not knocking if you go to those schools, but you also had a debt, like a massive debt. And if you can afford it, fantastic. But I think the most valuable thing they had coming out of school was they had connections, especially if you went to Los Angeles and you were going to live there. You already, you got opportunities to do summer internships, you know, working for major studios and, and that's just something I didn't, I didn't have. You know, I was the director of programming at Iowa City City Channel, you know, <laughs> which, you know, I did 24-hour programming. That was that was hard. But at the same time, you know, I didn't know anybody out in Los Angeles. So they definitely had a leg up on, on that for sure. But they also paid for it, too. And the networking aspect. Yeah, that's uh, huge. You know, it's huge. And I'm not great at it. It's just not, I don't know if it's just <laughs> not my forte or what, but... But that's the biggest thing I noticed was there they had a huge network by the time they left college. So, but it also they were two hundred thousand dollars in debt. So, and I wasn't. Yeah, and that's <laughs> nothing to bat an eye at. So, it, I imagine if you could go back and do it again, would you do it the same, or would you choose to take that debt and acquire those connections? I'd probably do it the same way. I I don't regret my time at Iowa. I also double majored in journalism and photography was my first love and had an emphasis in photography. And I learned a lot about framing. I mean, we could not edit. We had to show the frame. You know, we, mm -hmm. we shot our own footage. We uh, developed our own footage. We printed it. Um, and just the people I met there. And, you know, I also took anatomy. I took a lot of science classes. I took Native American classes. I learned the bagpipes. I was a <laughs> rower at a Division One, you know, Division One athlete there for a while. So... I don't regret Iowa at all. I loved it, and I would not change a thing. It's that's, made me who I am. So. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I've had uh, young writers say, like, right out of high school, ask me, um, what advice would you give to a writer? And one of the things that always pops up, regardless of where it is in the list of advice, is I tell them, you have to live. You need to have influences to draw from, from your own experience to, you know, bleed through your writing. So when you went to university and did all of that, I imagine you very much got all of those experiences that you were able to later translate into film, right? Oh, for sure. I mean, in my 20s, I traveled as much as I could. I mean, I was always, you know, working and I did so many free, worked on so many free projects, whether it was short, student short films or, you know, indie films or commercials or PSAs or you <laughs> name it. But when I could, when I could save up my money, I would go travel and meet new people. And that's probably where the love of documentary come in. I love people. I love talking to them. And I read. Read as much as you possibly can, you know, and make those connections. But it's really about living life. I don't think... I think the films that I, you make later in life, I'm not saying they're better, but you have more to say when, once you've lived. Oh, yeah. You know? 
I don't know. That's been my experience anyway. I can't speak for everybody. No, no, I couldn't agree more. So one note I want to touch on real quick before we go into the documentaries was right then you mentioned working for free. And it's something we've talked a lot about on this show. I'm a big proponent of it, especially when you're first starting out. You'll meet some people that will say, you know, never work for free. It's a sham. But if you don't have a leg in the game, I think it's a good idea. So if someone wants to come up to you and say, hey, you know, I haven't gone to film school, but I'd like to try this out, would you recommend working for free? And if so, why would you recommend it? Yeah, I actually just recommended the other day. Um, uh, somebody contacted me. And, you know, they're, they're interested. They're a little bit older, but they're interested in getting into film and making films and writing films and, you know, all these wonderful things that we're up to. And I said, I don't know where you live, but go go work on some projects and work on them for free because it's such a valuable experience. And you know this as a filmmaker. If someone wants to come into your project and be a PA or an intern, it every person on set makes a difference you know like every little bit helps and when you're just learning when you're just starting out it's so humbling like I graduated summa cum laude you know with two degrees and there I am working on universal as a bike messenger during the day you know on the back (laughs) lot delivering packages and seeing all these blockbuster movies being made and here I am you know like have this degree and I'm like riding a bike delivering packages you know and then at night going and and pulling all-nighters and working for free you know, when a supermarket shut down and filming in the supermarket and stuff. And you just, you make connections, first of all. People are grateful. Most people are anyway, not everybody. <laughs> um, it's a way to build up your resume when you don't have one, get credits. And it's just an incredible learning opportunity. As much as you learn in film school, which, you know, most people you learn a lot, but until you're actually doing it, you don't know anything. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And uh, on the note of, like, being a PA... I know for my set, if anyone would come out to be a PA for free, if they ever had questions of like, hey man, I kind of want to do this, can you give me some tips or whatnot? I'll sit down with you for a half hour, you just worked a day for free for me, I'll tell you anything I can help with you, and if you're a nice guy, all the better, right? Oh, for sure, I remember the first job, like I said, when I moved out, I'd been there for less than a day, and I show up on set, and you know, it was like five of us being PAs. And uh, the second AD asked, she said, what is it that you want to get from this experience? Like, are you interested in cinematography? Are you interested in the art department? And everybody kind of went through and said what they wanted to do. And I said, I want your job. And she laughed at that. But uh, (laughs) I loved what she was doing because she was in charge of the communication. She was making sure all the departments were running. And um, I just thought, well, if if I'm going to learn the business, this would be a a stellar place to start, you know? And... um, Learning through that experience and being able to take the time, that's something I always, when I was second AD, would ask my PAs, like, what is it that you want to get from this experience? And I go, I might not be able to, or if you want to sit down and talk, I might not be able to do it today, but we will find a time and we'll meet up and we'll talk, you know, and give back, basically. Yeah, you know? and that's that's huge for up-and-comers. I did it as well. Okay, so, uh, yeah, I want to move on to these documentaries here because I think this is super interesting. Um, what was your first? Well, uh, I worked with Jeff Dowd for about four years, and in that time, we probably worked on over 100 documentaries as consultants. Um, we'd come on, the earlier the better, and um, a lot of times we get finished films, they use air quotes on that, and then we do test screenings and say they're not done, we, which we knew, but kind of needed a 
help show them why they weren't quite finished. Mm-hmm. And Mark helped, you know, help with that, help with the festivals. But in what regards was my first, like, editing a film or, you know, like, I've worked on a bunch. <laughs> but in um, a lot of different capacities. So I don't know quite how to... I, not quite sure how to answer that question. No, no, that's fair. Well, let's start with how did you get connected with Jeff? Was he or in into doing these documentaries? He was. So as I mentioned earlier, I was a bike messenger on the Universal Backlot, and um, you know, applying for hundred, you know, hundred different jobs a week, you know, trying <laughs> every production house possible. And one day, my phone rang, and it was his office asking me to come in for an interview, and I went, and you know. It seemed it was working out of his home, which I was like, all right, sure, it's independent film stuff, why not? And found out I got the job because of my name. They had worked with a woman named Sarah Rose, and she they thought she was pretty cool. So, oh, that's awesome. I mean, that's how that's how crazy it is. It's not necessarily whether you're qualified. A lot of times, it's about who you know. And that was my in my name. They thought my name sounded cool because of someone they knew. And yeah, so I started working with him, and that was that was an crazy awesome experience. Uh, yeah, I learned so much working from him. It, I learned so much about story. He is a master storyteller. Okay. Uh, he gets story like, he was one of the people who helped uh, open Sundance and the vision behind that and just the importance of telling independent stories. So he's one of those people who can read your script and immediately help you make it better or see your film and kind of help guide you and uh, fix a lot of things that, as possible. So you know, working with him for years, I, I learned a lot. And um, so it wasn't just documentaries. We worked on, you know, all kinds of films. That's fantastic. But, yeah, uh, Sorry. You know Metallic is some kind of monster, right? Yes, I'm going to ask you one, one. I'm going to ask you one quick question before you said that you learned a lot about story from him. So I was wondering if you could put it into like just a couple bullet points or what you feel you learned, what uh, bits of advice you learned that helped you most with story from him. What would they be? audiences to say that your audience is everybody is just not true you know yeah, and if you know who your audience is from the very beginning like who's your target who are you reaching to and then why is it important to tell the story like why is anybody going to care especially now i mean there's thousands of movies back then we used to say like you know those 70,000 movies that just sit in people's closets that are never going to be seen because nobody you know no one's gonna nobody cares like there's nothing unique or interesting about that story so um and then, you know, basically, yeah, telling interesting stories. Uh, gosh, you want me to sum that up? It was so many wonderful things. But, yeah, I'd say knowing your audience, uh, telling an interesting story, and understanding how to tell the story. I think a lot of people, I when I would read a script, you know, you read a lot, a lot, a lot of scripts, and most of them aren't very good. But, <laughs> but there's always something interesting a lot of times people miss the mark they'd be telling a story about a horse when really the story should be about the dog that was in there that was just a blip you know and i'm like there's your story you know like just make a little correction here you know and slide it over i know that sounds weird but a lot of people have i think everybody has a story within them it's just being able to pull it out and polish it up i guess you know so I don't have it in a nutshell. I wish I did for you. But no, that's fair. Those it are a few. It makes perfect sense. And one other key thing is you should immediately, once you start uh, making your film, 
you should be in contact with some with a back then it was called sales rep but you definitely need to be thinking about distribution like where are you going to distribute that besides so knowing who your audience is and nowadays there's so many there's so many platforms back then there I mean, I remember meeting with the head of Netflix and being like, it's all going to be online, you know? And he was like, yeah, we have this box that you're going to be able, in the morning, pick your movie, and then you can download it while you're gone at work, and then you can watch it. And I was like, no, 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 look at YouTube, man. It's all, 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 all going to be streaming. I mean, I remember sitting there having that meeting, and now look at Netflix. Not that it, it was me who came up with that idea or anything, but um, just seeing, seeing the future in that aspect. So there's so many platforms, but you really – you really want to know who your audience is and then where you're going to, where you're going to be able to, people are going to be able to see this and you got to start marketing right away. Yep. Makes you can't perfect wait sense. Till it's finished. Makes perfect sense to me. One other quick question that come to, came to mind when you were talking there, you said that you read a lot of bad scripts, which does not surprise me at all, but I know a lot of writers listening would kill me if I didn't ask, what do you think it makes a good script from a bad script? Like just raw generalization. I know it's a hard answer, but if you had any advice. Well, a lot of bad scripts include, the characters are just one noted. You know, they say Mm. what they're thinking and nobody talks like that. You know, they, they just were unrealistic. Plot points were so obvious that after the two pages, I knew what was going to happen by the end, and it did not need to read the whole 125 pages, you mm-hmm. know, or the 200 pages. That's another thing. Like, if it, I think movies should be 90 minutes or less. I don't think we need it. To, if it's got to be over two minute, two hours, then maybe consider making it into a miniseries, you know. I think people's attention, I don't know. I'm not big a big proponent for long stories. People would actually send you 200-page scripts? Huh? Like 200 pages? That's oh, yeah. crazy. Oh, yeah. One client sent one time, oh, God, it was like 265 pages. Whoa. And I was like, really? We couldn't cut this down? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, like, we were working with them, and it just, it was what it was, you know. But on the weekends, and, you know, people talk like, oh, on the weekends you were just reading. And, yeah, but during the week, too. And I'd say, I don't know. There's just something about... When you read a good script, it pulls you in right away, and you don't even think about it. You're just you're along for the ride. Like when you pick up a good book, you know, all of a sudden you're, you you finished it. You didn't even move. You're still sitting on the chair reading it, and that's what a good script does. It it sucks you in right away, and it it takes you on this journey that you weren't expecting, and you fall in love with the characters, and you're rooting for them even if you don't like them, you know, and they surprise you in ways that you could never have imagined, and. It doesn't always have to end where it's all perfect and everything's all summed up, you know, because that's not life. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, just one other quick question of writing came to mind. I assume when you were re- reading all these scripts, uh, you would give notes on them, right? Oh yeah. What it would it be to the writer? Yeah, it depended. Um, if I at the beginning, I would give them to Jeff, and then he would, you know, use them, <laughs> and he would give me credit most of the time, and then. You know, after I worked with him for a while and he trusted me, um, I then I was just doing it. I was giving notes to the writers, you know, and mm-hmm. I would work nine to six for him, but I would come in at six in the morning and start rolling my own calls with the filmmakers and stuff if they were on the East Coast. Um, get And then I would stay till nine o'clock at night talking with the West Coast writers and filmmakers and just bestowing any knowledge that I had learned and sharing with them and working with them on their, their scripts. And, you know, as a writer myself, 
it's a very tricky thing to give notes. Uh, yes, it is. You, you never want to obliterate someone, you know, destroy them. And uh, writers are fragile. They're strong, but they're fragile because to tell a good story, you have to you have to be open. You can't be guarded and closed up. You know, you need to be able to be realistic and share. And I always went out of my way to make sure I started with, I called it like kind of the sandwich, you know, I'd start positive and then go into more of the things that needed work. And, but I'd always try to come up with a solution or an idea. And I didn't care if they used it or not, but instead of saying, oh, this sucks or this doesn't work, you know, I'd be like, well, what if you thought, have you thought about this? Or, you know, kind of tried to help come up with some ideas and then end with something positive too. Then I did that when I would give, uh, consult- I did cons- consultations on films too, when they were complete or they thought they were complete. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. And I largely try to give notes the same way, um, which leads to my next question of when you're, what advice would you have for the writer when, you know, they're being sat down? It's like, I'm going to give you some notes because some writers, like you said, they can be delicate and they sometimes just want to hear that the script is perfect, right? So what notes would you (laughs) have to give to them to be like, don't worry, man, I know I'm going to cut you down a bit, but it's for the best. Well, I always started out with, you've seen a bad movie, right? We've all seen bad movies, right? Think of one that you've seen. Wouldn't you rather, don't you think that writer or director would have rather have fixed it in the script than have to have a completed film and it be terrible? Yeah, that's a great way to put it. You know, so it's like, and it's a lot cheaper to fix it now, you know, when it's it's editing some pages. Oh, yeah. And, oh, we got to bring in actors, we got to hire the crew back, then we got to bring the editor, you know. A lot of people would have locked picture, and I'm like, oh, this isn't locked, you know. I'm sorry, <laughs> we're going to have to do some work. So... Coming at it from that angle, I think, is important. And also being like, I want you to tell the best story you can tell. And I think we've got some work to do, but I think you can tell an amazing story. You know? I mean, it's not about tearing the person down. It's about encouraging them and having them rise to where you think they can meet you. You know, where the, where a lot of times people, I don't think, realize their full potential. Um, something I learned when I was rowing, I was a, I was the runt. I was 5'8", five, 5'9". Five, and most of the people on the team were, you know, six foot you know I was a tiny little I was a Rudy you know and what I learned was 90% of it is your own mind playing games on you 10% was the actual strength your physical capability right it was 90% of my my brain telling me I couldn't do it or I wasn't good enough or I'm not worthy and I think as a writer it's easy to get in our heads and play games with ourselves and, and say we're not great or, you know, second guess ourselves or not rise, you know. And so when someone else reads our work, it's incredibly sensitive. There we are putting ourselves out there and we miss the mark a little bit or we got off topic or we were too afraid to go and dig that extra layer of the onion back, you know. And you got to be sensitive and talk to them in a way and know who you're talking to. You know, like get to know them first. Don't just start being into someone's script. I mean, they could have been working on that for a year, you know, and then you're just some random person giving them notes. You know? <laughs> um, I think it's important to care about them and to care about what they're up to, you know, and find out what kind of film they want it to be and then try to encourage them to make that, you know, to help them write that, that film. Yep, makes and sense. as when I would get notes... It is hard. It's hard when someone's tearing your stuff apart, telling yep. you you have no plot or your character is hated and, you know, unlikable. Uh, those aren't fun notes to hear, but 
I was always grateful, maybe not in the moment, <laughs> but afterwards I was grateful for their honesty. And here's the other thing. You don't always have to agree with someone, you know, just because they don't like it. And that's something I think I'm seeing more in people who write about films or write about script writing is you want to find the right reader for your project. You don't want someone who always reads comedies reading your horror film, you know, yeah. like not that they can't and not that they don't have some good points, but if you don't, it's kind of like knowing your audience in that moment too, they might send you on a whole new path or they just might not get it. And, you know, I wouldn't say if you've sent it to four different people and they all don't get it, that no, that it's just the wrong people, but there might be a consistent theme there. But yeah, I would say try to be open. Um, I try to take notes, which would stop me from speaking, you know, I'd write it down mm. what they thought. And then once they were finished, I, I would follow up. I'd ask questions and see, was it really this scene you didn't like? Or was it maybe, and this is something we did when we would do screenings, test screenings, which are so important. Someone would say, I hate this scene. It's terrible. Well, once you kind of started asking questions, you realize it's not that scene they didn't like. It was a scene before or the scene after. But if you just went with what they said and cut that scene, you, you weren't cutting the right thing. So you want to make sure with whatever notes they are giving you that you dig in a little bit and ask for clarification. It's not challenging them. It's just making sure you're understanding it. And a lot of people will go, Oh yeah, I, I guess I just missed that. You did, your character did say that, but it was this, you know, so don't be so quick to just make every change that someone suggests, you know, especially if it doesn't quite land right. Or you think maybe they misinterpreted it, or maybe you just forgot to put something in and you've been filling it in every time you read it. Yeah, the possibilities are endless with that kind of thing. I definitely feel you on that. All right, so yeah, um, we got to talk Metallica here. I am super interested. Uh, I, yeah, I guess just tell me about it. Like, what what'd you do on it? Yeah, that was that was an awesome, 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 awesome experience. It was the I think I'd been working with Jeff for maybe a year at the time. Okay, and. Joe Berlinger and, um, why am I blanking on the other guy's name all of a sudden? That's okay. Um, Joe and Bruce, Bruce and Oski, um, approached Jeff and were like, hey dude, literally, hey dude, um, we, we've got this film and, you know, we want you to take a look at it and tell us what you think. They didn't have a distribution. Metallica had actually funded it themselves. Yep. And... Midway through filming it, I'm sure if you watch it, they got a big fight, production stopped for a while. I mean, it was it was drama within itself, the movie. But uh, they kind of were like, what do you think? Do we have anything here? You know? And we watched it, and we were, like, blown away. I mean, Joe and Bruce, they had made several documentaries, and are, you know, Bruce has since passed away, but uh, we're just amazing storytellers and it was such an honor to even be included and asked to be a part of it and we watched it and we had some notes and you know things and we did we did some test screenings on it and we were like we were like you guys have a film here this 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 could be something really amazing and it was like okay who's our audience well obviously the Metallica fans and it was just trying to get a hold of um how are we going to reach this audience and not just blast them this is before like social, like Facebook, you know, and all social media. But how are we gonna, how are we gonna reach out to them? How are we gonna get them excited about this film? And YouTube was just, just in its first year or two. It wasn't even like YouTube was this thing, you know. It was still when YouTube was owned by YouTube, 
before uh, Google bought it. Yeah. And we wanted to find the right house, the, the right distribution company, like the right production. Uh, we wanted to make sure we had a good release. They wanted, we said, do you want to do a theatrical with this? Like, do you want to do, you know, straight to DVD? Because DVD sales were huge back then. Yeah. Not so much now. Um, you know, what What kind of distribution are they looking? Uh, at the time, the budget, you know, they'd spent a fair amount, but not nothing crazy. But they'd spent a decent amount. It was like, does the band want to recoup? what they've spent, like, what's the goal, you know? And they definitely wanted to see if they could do a theatrical and make some money back if possible. And um, the main thing is they just wanted to get it out there and share it. So we we took it to Sundance, and uh, we found a lot of people were interested in it, and we helped secure the distribution deal. And then they hired us on to do the marketing because it wasn't, it wasn't one of those films where you could just blast the marketing. It was going to take something special. And that's when we came up with, and I know it sounds crazy, but this was not a thing back then, was uh, to do little three-minute mini-stories, you know, little maybe outtakes of the film, uh, teasers, basically. We were just doing three-minute promotional. Um, They had hours and hours of footage and showing some actual clips that was in, in the film. And we just started teasing the heck out of it. And we did um, kind of rolled it out to different. We're like, okay, what cities do we want to hit? What are the major cities? And, and and pairing it up with the marketing, even having the band play and rolling it out and seeing would this make a mate. Could we get a major release out of this? Or are we just going to do the major markets, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, that was kind of like, that was a crazy year. We worked on that for at least a year. And like I said, working with Joe and Bruce and their whole team, their whole team were, were just incredible, incredible people. And yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun and even got to meet, uh, the band and awesome. yeah, it was, it was an awesome experience. We yeah. got to work with some pretty cool, uh, musicians and stuff like that. Neil Young, I got to meet Neil Young and work with him on, um, his film Greendale. I don't know if you ever saw that. And he did that. Um, he'd even do, basically he did a whole album and then shot a film with it over the album it's pretty neat film so got to work with him and uh worked with um going up river the long war of john Kerry. that was done by uh george butler he did that pumping iron with oh awesome um, arnold schwarzenegger have you seen that documentary i have seen that one that one's very very yeah. good and so what was cool with Going Up River is, I mean, obviously John Kerry did not win, which was one of the most saddest moments of my life because I had never worked so hard on a presidential campaign. <laughs> but we used film to do it. And we even, you know, traveled. Um, Sean Penn had rented a private jet and, like, Lawrence Bender and Kelly Corey. And we all went to Vegas and, like, knocked on doors asking people to get out and vote. I mean, I drove wow. on that voting day, took people from North Vegas to the voting polls. You know, we'd run in vans, just telling people to get out. So I remember finding out that next morning, like, haven't slept in, like, days, <laughs> that, you know, he conceded and watching, you know, Bush get the second, you know, term. Yeah. And it was kind of those things, like, I don't know if I'll ever do that again. Like, I never worked so hard in my life for something and not one, you know. But yeah, it was crazy. an incredible experience. And it really was, you know, it really was getting out, like, helping people vote. Like, that, to me, was... The best part of it was just educating people on a potential presidential candidate, you know, through a film and their experience and 
John Kerry's war experience in Vietnam and just who he is as a person. And then I didn't, we didn't ask, oh, are you voting for a Republican or a Democrat? Like, we just said, do you want help getting to the polls, you know? And it was really about helping people get out there and vote that didn't have the means or um, opportunity to be able to do that, but were registered, and we got them there. And that, to me, was fulfilling. Yeah, that sounds amazing. But, awesome. So here's a question for you. When someone comes to you with a film, uh, whether it be Metallica or any other kind of film, what stage are they usually in, and uh, how do you decide where to go from there? Well, um, it just depends. I've been included in all... When I was working with Jeff, it was more on the post end. People had pretty much already shot the film mm-hmm. um, and were either finished with it or had a rough cut of it. And, you know, we'd watch we'd watch it and be like, oh, is this something we want to be a part of? Is this something... For me, personally, I have to care about it. I have to think the message is important or that I have some kind of interest in it. And I think that's my journalism ties. But... Uh, if I care about the message or think whatever's being said is important and needs to get out there and I can be a part of it and help in some way, I'm on board. You know, like that's, I want to be a part of that. I was editing for um, a TV show and it was the last week we were wrapping up and I was so excited. I was going to go to New York, you know, have a little vacation, see my, some of my family. And I got this call from a guy I had worked with on another documentary and he was like, I need your help. And I was like, what's going on? He goes, I got this film. And, uh, you know, we shot almost 400 hours of footage and I need your help, you know? And I was like, Oh man, I'm going on vacation. He goes, I need your help. Like right now we're trying to get it ready for sundowns. This was like August, you know? And I'm like the submission, what are you going for? Like late submission. (laughs) And, and I was like, Oh, you know, he like begged me and I was like, fine, fine. Uh, you know, have a copy sent over to my house. I'll check it out. And I watched it, and it was like 90 minutes and um, that they had cut together. And it was like a 90-minute trailer. It was okay. Just, so it had no a 90-minute commercial. I'm sorry. It was. It looked amazing, but it, the story was all over the place. And it was kind of like, uh, but I could tell, like, they had they had so much amazing footage. And the, the director was so charismatic and so passionate and, he was in the film, you know, mm-hmm. and they were talking to all these amazing people. And I was like, I have to be a part of this. Okay. I'm canceling my trip. You know, I'm on board. And I spent two weeks with them. I watched as much footage as I could. Um, and, uh, just help them break the story down. I was like, all right, we had a big, huge boards, you know, and we're like, okay. And then after two weeks, I was also, I, you know, like I said, I had just been editing that TV show. They were like, would you be interested in staying on and maybe editing? <laughs> <laughs> and I was working with another editor. He, like I said, he he's incredible. His film, actually, he's a short film playing at Cannes, an emerging film uh, competition this week. So, oh, awesome. Um, yeah, I'm so proud of him. Anyway, we worked six months together on that project, and Sundance was like, you know, this is a great film, but it's not going to be ready in time. This was like December. You know, yeah. they kept, they were like, if you can get this done, you guys are in, you know? And we were just working around the clock to get it, and they were like, you guys, we've got to pull the string, you know, resubmit next year, you know? I'm sorry, you're just not going to, it's not going to be ready. Yeah. And it was devastating, but... At the same time, I was like, yeah, this is December. This is in January. <laughs> it's not going to happen. But uh, we ended up resubmitting, and they got in, and we ended up winning the audience award. 
and it was pretty cool. This is before Facebook and stuff. I mean, it was. I mean, Facebook was around, but it wasn't public yet. You know, it was, it was January of two thousand eight. It might have just went public, I guess, or whatever. But that was at ground ground roots. They had me come on as their you know festival marketer because I'd been you know several times with other films and stuff like that. And I mean, we had pins, buttons, hats, scarves. Everybody in town knew who we were. They saw us coming. You know, it was. It was a lot of work, but it was an incredible film. It had an amazing story behind it. And when you just believe in something like that, it's just not hard to, to get on board. You know, it's and not hard to promote it. It doesn't feel like you're doing marketing for it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you're you're passionate about it. So it's easy to share. And it was on the short list for the Academy Awards. Obviously, it didn't make it. But yeah. it was a pretty wild ride with that film, too. But, you and know, that... I came on for that for six months and then, you know, went on my way. And they brought in some other people that, you know, had raised more money and just, you know. But it was a fun film. And and then the film uh, Awake, the Life of Yogananda, I came on on that film at the very beginning. Uh, Paola, who's a very dear friend, I worked with her on um, Home of the Brave, which was a documentary that we had at Sundance with her. And... Um, she was just like, hey, do you know anybody who's looking for some work? I got this project that I'm, you know, going to pitch for. And I was like, yeah, me. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, are you serious? Are you available? And I'm like, yeah, I'd love to work with you from beginning to end on a project. I, you know, she she's an incredible, incredible filmmaker, Oscar nominated. You know, and I was like, it'd be an honor to work with you. So it was her. Um, the co-director, Lisa Lehman, who is also an extraordinary filmmaker, a teacher at USC, and uh, Peter Rader, her husband, and I. And that was it for a long time. It was us four. And then as we got, you know, greenlit and some money, brought on a DP and a, a production assistant. But, I mean, we wanted to keep it a small family and put the money in the film, not, you know, in hiring huge crews and stuff. But I think it also lent itself to the story. And, you know, so I'd either be doing sound or operating a camera or, you know, and being, sec, you know, associate producer and second AD and first AD, <laughs> kind of doing it all, um, all of us doing multiple, I guess wearing, not just me, but everybody wearing multiple hats, you know, was it, um, like just that indie spirit of filmmaking, I think is so important, you know, and yeah, that's um, the heart and soul of indie film right there. You do as many things as you can. It's, yeah, it wasn't pretentious like, oh, I'm the associate producer, I'm not going to go get coffee, or I'm not going to, you know, it wasn't about that. It was like, do we need coffee? I'll go get it, you know? It was more about, let's ha let's make the best film possible, and let's have fun doing it, and we became a family. I think filmmaking, that's what's so cool about filmmaking is, you know, you work with these, you know, different people, and you work with them 20-hour days for up to a year, and, and then all of a sudden the film's done, and it's played at festivals or whatever, and then... I don't know. It's one of those things where just one day you realize you haven't spoke to someone you talk to 20 times in a day you haven't talked to in months, you know? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, uh, yeah, so I got a couple questions that come up from that. First, what was that uh, first documentary you were talking about there where you won the Audience Award at Sundance? What's that called? Okay, so it's, at Sundance it was called Fields of Fuel. Okay. And then um, when it went theatrical, I mean, it played at tons of festivals, but when it went theatrical, they changed the title to Fuel. Okay. Yeah. And why is so that, do you know? So at Sundance, I was, I was listed as an editor, story editor on it. And then they changed the title. I don't know why they changed the title. I, okay. If that, I don't know if that was your next question. It was, but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, in, 
No, I don't know. I'm not going to, I have an idea of why, but I, I'm not going to, I don't know for sure. That's so I totally think I fair. So, so and there was, it wasn't just me. It was a cup, ended up being four people credited as editor. I don't want to take all the credit. There was like hundreds of people who worked on that film. You know, it was just an awesome experience and was grateful to be a part of it. Yeah, it sounds awesome. So really quick mini question. What's it like when uh, they tell you, hey, you know, you just won the audience award. What does that experience feel like? Uh, incredible, you know, it's one of those <laughs> moments where you don't even know if it's really happening. You know, you're just like, uh, I, I don't even have words. It, it was just such a, it's just one of those moments where, you know, when you've worked really hard on a film and you put a lot of time in and a lot of, you know, there's a lot that goes into a film. It's not all peaches and cream, you know, and, um, to be able to see that work turn into such great, um, to, you know, turn into something so amazing that other people appreciate and reward you with that. And you see, and you're surrounded by not the entire team, but a lot of the team that helped. It's just really nice thing. I mean, when we did go to Sundance, um, like I hadn't worked on that film for a while and you know, that was part of the thing, you know, they brought me back on, uh, to do the marketing and stuff and they rented a huge house. We were all living in the house together you know, and had meetings every day, and, and just, we were a family in that moment, and we, it was our mission of, hey, we're at Sundance, and we're going to have the best experience possible, and, and make sure as many people that can, can see the film, and when they say you won the audience award, it's almost like you don't believe it, you know, it's just one of those things that you're like, wow, I, I don't know, I mean, if you ever have competed as an athlete, and, you know, people always say, oh, you know, you're sitting there practicing, having, you know, 60-hour weeks in practice and stuff, but you won't think about the blood, sweat, and tears when you cross the finish line. It's true. Like, you don't you don't think about those moments. You appreciate them, but what you remember is crossing the finish line, you know? Like, you're not thinking about, oh, I had to run a 10-mile warm-up, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Day. You That's know? Awesome. So it kind of just puts it all in perspective, and it doesn't mean it means everything. I don't mean to say that it's all about awards or, or anything like that, but... It is kind of nice to be, it is very nice to be recognized and, and someone to say, hey, you know, and that was the audience too. The audience voted on that. It wasn't, you know, the festival that gave you that award. The audience gave you that award. And I think that's the most important, those are the most important people, the people who watch your film and you hope that they like it and you hope it speaks to them and inspires them. Yeah, that's fantastic. All right. So one other quick point I want to uh, touch on before we go to micro budget film is for anyone listening that always you know will ask people how do you advance in the industry listen to everything she's saying she's not working eight hour days she's not taking it easy she's not waiting for it to come to her you work a lot of hours and you just don't stop working so on that note um what do you have to say about like how when do you sleep like when do you do personal things <laughs> Well, I mean, here's the thing, too. You have to have a balance, and that's something I learned the hard way. I yeah. worked 20-hour days, sometimes 24-hour days uh, for years. And, you know, stuff about me that you don't know is I actually went and uh, moved to Hawaii and lived on the Big Island for the oh, better wow. part of a year on a, uh, on a farm. And, <laughs> and it was and awesome. Why is that? And it was great. And it was like one of those life experiences that we talked about at the beginning of this conversation. But I was 
I don't want to say burnt out, but I was tired, you know, and when you're constantly working all the time and there isn't that work-life balance, you need to rejuvenate. You know, I did a lot of yoga, a lot of meditation. Um, I love to cook and we had obviously a massive farm. It was awesome to go, go get my vegetables and then from the garden and then make something fresh right then and there. So I think you, I'm not lying. You do have to work a lot of hours and that's no joke, but at the same time, it didn't feel like work because I love what I'm doing, but you do need a balance. I yeah. think that's so crucial. You do need to go on vacation and meet people and, and do things that aren't film. You know, I mean, everything I would do for fun in the beginning was on my Saturdays, I'd walk to the Grove and go watch movies all day, you know, <laughs> in the theater. But as early as the movies would start, they started at eight, I was there. You know, I, I love, I don't mind watching by myself, you know, I, I don't mind or if the theater's full, I don't care, you know, like, I just love watching the movies and on the big screen and seeing them, there's something special about that, but you need to go have fun, you need to go surfing, or go for hikes, or um, go for a bike ride, you know, I don't know, uh, there, there definitely needs to be a balance, but there is no quick rich, get quick rich, there is no fame overnight, I mean, I've been working in this business for over 20 years, and you, you've probably never heard of me before till you said my name. You know, um, and that's okay. I never, I, I, I do it because I love it. I think that's the key. If you don't love it, you're not going to last, you know, Absolutely. my film professor would have call, call, have kids call me all the time. Kids, students call me, um, <laughs> that was thinking about moving out to LA, you know, they were in the film program and, you know, I'd spend an hour and a half to two hours on the phone with them. And I was like, oh, I wish someone would have done this for me, you know, and I'd say, oh, write a book about it. But it's already outdated by the time a book would come out. You oh, know? yeah, but, of course. I mean, just simple things like, where do I get my oil changed? Or, you know, <laughs> things that you don't even know to know to know that you need to know, you know? But, um, and they're not, I'd say, ask me anything, nothing stupid. There's no silly question. If you don't know the answer, then you don't know the answer. And if I know it, I'll share it with you. And if I don't, I'll tell you I don't. But maybe we can find out. But at the end of the day, if you're not passionate about it, if you don't love it, you're, you're not going to succeed. And I don't mean that to be mean, but unless you have, even if you're a millionaire, I've worked with millionaires and they haven't made it, you know, like money doesn't guarantee success, I guess is my point. Yeah. I, I, I hope I didn't like kind of counteract what you just said, but no, uh, no, not at all. Actually, that brings up I a really, important, you know, yeah, it brings what? up a really interesting point. And if you don't mind elaborating on the going to Hawaii thing, like I know it's something in this business, you get really burnt out. I remember um, when I shot my first feature, we shot it in nine days. In between pre-production and when we wrapped, I lost 15 pounds. Like, this industry can take its toll on you. So when it comes to a point, like you mentioned, where you go to Hawaii for a year to live on a farm, like, you're that burnt out. What was that experience like? How did you realize that you're like, okay, maybe you need a bit of a break. I should, you know, put it on the back burner for a little bit. And what was it like going through that rejuvenation process? Yeah, you know, this is going to be me being sensitive and open and, um, you know, but I'll, I'll share with your listeners. Thank you. Uh, I had been working on a documentary for almost two years. They had asked me to re-up for another six-month contract. And it was the same time my short film had been in festivals. And, um, I had also made a music video 
And I had a few people interested, were offering me money to maybe make another film or a short film or do something, you know. In all actuality, my career was finally kind of taking off in, in the direction I wanted to as a filmmaker, you know. And I appreciated everything I've learned and done. I mean, I wanted to know everything so that when I asked someone to do something, I knew what I was asking. I didn't need to know how to do it necessarily. I didn't need to be the master. I mean, people are good at their jobs and there's so many different departments, but I wanted to know enough about it that when I asked them something that I knew was crazy, that should take five days and I'm asking them to do it three, that I knew that I was asking them that, Mm -hmm. you know, and being respectful of that. But in doing that, um, you know, that's what I said, a good 10 years just trying to learn as much as I possibly could and appreciating every aspect of it. And then finally when... Uh, I mean, I made tons and tons and tons of short films that will never see the light of day that are living on some hard drive in some storage unit or, you know, I don't even know, in some far, far off place. But I made a lot of bad stuff. And you're going to do that, and you've got to give yourself permission to do that, by the way. Um, Don't think necessarily that you're going to be a Picasso, you know, right away on your first first painting. Yeah, definitely. Um, But, uh, yeah, so in all actuality, when you're looking at my life from the exterior – my life's taken off. Like, things are working out in Sarah Rose's world. Mm-hmm. But internally, I remember standing on the stage. My film just premiered. And I was standing up there, and I was like, this is it. Like, that's what I've worked so hard for. And people were there. I mean, it wasn't like people didn't show up. It wasn't that, like people didn't like it. I just, it felt really empty to me. Okay. And, um... I was sad, you know, I'd worked really hard for a long time and to, to feel that way about my own project and it was premiering and to have that feeling, I was like, whoa, you need to do like a reset, like something's not right. And I, and I, I didn't know, like maybe I don't want to make movies anymore. Maybe like this isn't for me. Like I didn't know like what was going on. I just knew I wasn't happy and I knew the the, the train I was on and the track I was on and where the direction I was going and I didn't want to go there I was like I want to get off you know this isn't what I want to be doing and people thought I was crazy they were like you're going where and you're gonna go do what I mean I put all my stuff in storage and I bought a one-way ticket I left on December 15th uh 20 2010 and I didn't know for I didn't know if I was gonna be gone for two weeks two years I didn't know and a lot of people on the farm didn't think I'd last more than two weeks. They're like, oh, some city girl. <laughs> Little did they know I came from Iowa. And, you know, I, I didn't grow up on a farm, but, you know, was <laughs> it such a far-fetched. But it was, I didn't realize, I was just tired, you know. And I had, L.A. is a very, very hard place to live, you know. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of people um, who take and take and take and they don't give. And I love giving because I love film and I love sharing anything I could with people. And I, I did it freely and I did it. Like I said, I, I, I needed the money. You know, you're like, uh, okay, I'll do the, I'll do it for the money or whatever, you know? And you don't think that's a big deal, but when you're, when you're an artist and you're giving, you're, you're contributing to something and then you don't get credit for it. There's a, there's a price to pay for that. And I don't think we talk about that enough as artists, but what we do is very special and unique and it's hard to put uh, a value on it. But when you do something and no one knows you've done it, it's not about doing it for acknowledgement, but there is something to be said about that, I guess. And, um, yeah. And I worked with a lot of people who, you know, um, 
were challenging, <laughs> to say the least. And yeah, it you tell yourself, you know, there's the Me Too movement, and and I think it's incredible and amazing. But there's a lot of things you you you. Especially, I can only speak as a woman in the business, but you put up with because you. I mean, I, I grew up with three older brothers, so I can handle a lot. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I consider myself kind of one of those people who was, who was tough and you could, you know, speak to me or I could handle it. And the thing is, as human beings, we can handle a lot, but do we need to handle it is the second question, the follow-up. And it does, you do pay a price on that after a while, you know? And I needed to reset and to find out, to remember why I loved movies to begin with and what it was and what kind of storyteller did I want to be and that's the time I took of self-reflection just rest you know I mean there wasn't a lot of resting on the farm actually I think I worked more hours on the farm than so <laughs> but I was like I came here for a vacation and I'm working more now than I did before but it was a different kind of work you know and um it was it was spirit it was it was it was fuel for my soul and um and realizing that no one can make you happy and I know that's something people say but you really have to find the happiness within yourself you know you can't look no money no film no person's gonna be able to give that for you that's something you've got to find within you and I wanted to develop my relationship with God and that's just something that was important to me and I'll never ever regret that time I took away and it did put my my career halted I ended up working um you know for a major company you know for a few years and I did some stuff on the side and I learned a lot working for that company and I don't regret that either but um yeah it did put a halt on my career it, it but I don't I don't regret it so I, I hope I answered your question I don't know I kind of got on a tangent there yeah no that's fantastic and, and thank you for sharing as well um, so you're probably like that was a little deeper than I was planning on going. <laughs> no, it's amazing though. It's fantastic. Uh, so one quick question for that: when you're on this farm in Hawaii and you're, you're taking your own time to figure out, you know, what's what you want and whatnot, when did it come to you where you're like, okay, I think I do want to do this film thing? And when did you start thinking of coming back to it? And was there ever a point when you were like, maybe I'll just never go back to it? I think in my heart, I always knew I was going to come back, you know, but was I going to come back to LA? Was I going to, how was I going to come back? Was I just going to work on a bunch of other films again? Did I, um, and that's, I prayed on it a lot. And I remember just like, you know, it's one day it just, it, it just clicked. It all made sense. And where, what, what I, what I came to was, you know, I, I spent years, and like I said, I don't regret a minute of it. I love every moment of it, even the bad stuff, yeah. uh, working on other people's projects and stuff. But what I came to was like, I really want to make my own stuff, you know? And I spent years supporting other people and helping them make their dreams come true. And I spent a fraction of that time working on my own stuff, you know? And I just said, you know, if I'm going to come back, I want to come back and I want to work on the things I want to work on. And, and if I want to work, help someone else on their project, it's because I want to, and it's something I, I really care about. And, but I really want to see if I can develop some of my projects, you know, and some of the ideas that I have, and I want to share some of my stories with the world. And that's when I knew I wanted to come back. That's fantastic. 
Um, if someone would do one more quick question about that, and then we'll move on to the stuff you ended up creating when you came back. Um, but if someone came up to you in a similar circumstance and they said, like, hey, you know, I've been grinding it out for X amount of years and I'm feeling super burnt out, would you give them similar advice of take some you time or what would you tell them? It, it depends. Uh, for me, I took a job um, in a field that I had never done before. And when I went to that job every day, something I said to myself is, I'm going to learn something today, or I'm going to meet someone new. I made sure that um, I wasn't just clocking in and clocking out. Like, I Mm -hmm. wanted it to be fruitful. And I would always bring it back to film about, like, how can I apply this to filmmaking? Like, what what can I get from this? How this? How can this mean something? So... If they've been working in the business and they're burnt out, um, you have a couple options. I mean, you can obviously step away and just do something else completely for a while, um, if, if that's possible. I'd ask them why did they want to be in the business to begin with. I think you get so busy with living your life and paying bills and, you know, that it sometimes feels like a job, but um, you get lost a little bit and... Um, finding your passion again, you know, because that's, like I said before, if you don't love it, if you're not passionate about it, you, you can't get through it, you know, but if you can rekindle that, maybe go make a short film, you know, like, I don't know. It just kind of depends. I, like I said, I would make short films all the time just for fun that I wasn't planning on showing anybody or I just go, I love to go interview people and I don't always do anything with it, you know, but I'll just go grab my camera my mic, it'll just be me, and I'll, I'll spend having an hour or two interviewing someone on a subject I'm just interested in, and I may never do anything with the footage, but there's something so amazing doing that, that I love doing it, you know, so. Yeah, you get a huge release from the creative process, eh? Yeah, or if you love photography, go out and take pictures, you know what I mean, like, find another way to express it. I think especially it, I had so many people I'd worked with over the years that were trying to make a feature film and they had that script for like 10 years and they were waiting for someone (laughs) to give them permission to make that movie. And, and it never, it never comes, you know, and it's, and you're holding on to that one script, you know, if someone would just give me a million dollars or $5 million or whatever, fill in that, the amount that, um, nothing gets made over those 10 years. Like you don't make anything. And I think that, if I may segue a little bit, of um, that's kind of where uh, where I'm coming at for the summer, hopefully, is my plan. Yes. Uh, with the micro-budget film, I think we're in a new era, especially with, like, how you can make a movie on your film, your phone if you want, you know? And yep. Things don't cost what they used to cost, you know? I mean, I remember learning on the Avid Machine editing, and those things were, like close to a million dollars like you could not afford an avid machine even if you wanted one but you could afford five thousand dollar apple computer you know yeah and and so now it's like you can buy a computer you can even edit the the movie i wouldn't recommend it on your phone you know what i mean like you can make a short film on your phone if you wanted to and edit it and do everything i'm not saying it'd be amazing but it's possible so i think between that and also like giving yourself permission to fail um, I don't know about you, but I, I, I tend to be a perfectionist, and 
if it's not perfect or if it's not the way I envision it, no one sees it. And that's not fair, you know, um, not fair to anybody else who worked on it. And it's not fair to you as the artist because, you know, it has value, you know, and yeah. it's an opportunity to speak to someone. You don't know how your art is going to touch someone. You know, you can't, you don't get to make that decision. Like when you watch my film, I want you to feel this way. There's no guarantee anybody's going to feel because they bring their life experiences. They bring, you know, and maybe they had a bad day or maybe they had a great day or who knows, you know, you don't, you don't get to say how your audience is going to respond or how they're going to feel about something, but giving yourself permission to make the worst film possible. And you can do that for like no money now. I mean, oh, yeah. before I just wouldn't advise it because people would spend half a million dollars. I'd be like, <laughs> I'm sorry, your kids are not going to go to college now. Your family's never going to speak to you again because you can't pay them back on the loan they gave you. You know, like those were really hard conversations to have. Now, there's no excuse. You know, you can make a movie for a few thousand dollars and it can be really bad, but who cares? You know, like you made it. You know, it's not like you're out. It's not like people aren't going to ever speak to you again. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think and it's a huge learning opportunity, too. You that, know, that's the big a cheaper thing. film school. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, so let's, let's grind on this micro budget feature topic for a little while. I definitely agree with everything you're saying and I know when people first hear like you can make a micro budget feature for 5,000, 10,000, anywhere in between there it's kind of like well how do you do that and in order to do it you do have to get quite creative. So when you're coming into your next micro budget feature so whereabouts are you in the process right now with it? Yeah so right now I am in the idea like I've got the idea. Yep. Well, let me back up if I may. Of course. So I just finished the script uh, like in April and I was like, sweet. It obviously needs a rewrite, but sweet. It's done. I can shoot this this fall. I'll do some more rewrites. And I made it a, a low budget film. Like it's not anything crazy, but it's a budget. It needs some money, you know? Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, now I gotta, you know, I gotta do some rewrites. I gotta figure out how to raise some money. And, you know, I was listening to a lot of podcasts, you know, like yours and, and whatnot, just to be inspired. I love listening to other people talk about films and how they're doing things. I mean, I think that's the key, too, as a filmmaker. Don't think you know everything because you don't, you know, like, and be humble and be willing to learn from someone else and, and listen to how other people are doing things. It might spark another idea. You might not do that, but it could lead you to a different, a different idea. And that's exactly what happened to me. I was listening to these podcasts and I was listening to people talk about, oh, I made this film for 5000 I made it for 10000 and I kept hearing a theme, and it was they just went out and made something with what they have. Yep. You know, instead of, like, having this perfect script and having this cast and the equipment and all these things, they just said, oh, I've got, I've got you know, Joe over here, and I've got, you know, Kim with this camera, and I've got Sally who's interested in producing, and, you know, and then I've got an idea, and, you know, we talked about it, and we had a loose script met, didn't necessarily have a, a script, you know, and then we had so-and-so's house and we went out and shot it, you know, and then I edited it and now it's playing in festivals and yada, 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 you know, and I was like, huh, all right, that's kind of different than what I would think I would do, but I'm like, that's kind of interesting for micro budget and, um, my sister-in-law had mentioned, you know, my nephews were going to be home in the summer, and if I was around, and if I want to do something, you know, that would be appreciated, and, you know, whatnot, and I was like, oh, maybe I'll come back and 
hang out with them. Maybe we make a short film or something. You know, I just yeah. said it uh, kind of off the cuff. And I could not get that idea out of my mind. And it's happened to me a few different times. It happened to me with my short film. It happened to me with Hawaii. And when something like that happens, I listen. I'm like, something something good is happening here, and I need to, I need to listen. What is my intuition telling me? What What's my heart trying to talk to me about? And, um, yeah, I had this idea of shooting a film with my nephews this summer. Um, and, and I was like, okay, they're not actors, but all right. <laughs> and they're 11 and 13, and I kind of see it as an action adventure, and they'll be on a quest to find something. I mean, I didn't have a lot of feet. I have more now, but I won't, you know, maybe I come back on and I'll tell you about the experience. Yeah, but, of course. Um, and then I, I asked my brother and sister, I'm like, what do you think about this? And they're like, yeah, that sounds great to me. And I'm like, all right, well, I wanted to run it by you before I asked them. And they were down with it. They were like, that would be the coolest thing. Yeah, <laughs> let's do it. And so I've been working with them on the story. We've been breaking down the characters and, like, what's their motivation and just kind of understanding them. And now we're working on the story beats. And I'm not going to have a script. I'm going to break it into, like, eight mini movies mm-hmm. and you know, we're going to do, we'll do location scouting at some point, but we'll definitely, and I'm going to shoot it chronologically, which is something I don't normally do. I'm very but, jealous um, of that. I think it's important for this experience. And yeah, we're going to go out. I said, we're going to make, we're giving ourselves permission to make the worst film ever. So even if it's good, that's great, but that's not, you know, like I hope it's not horrible, but at the same time, <laughs> like it doesn't have to be great. I said, the number one thing is I want to have fun with you guys. I want to spend time with you. I want you guys to learn something. I'm going to learn a ton. And let's, let's just make a feature film. Let's do it. Let's, let's, let's make it happen. So, sounds crazy. I know. No, it sounds but, great. Um, that's what we're going to do. And hopefully by the end of summer, uh, we'll have a completed film. And maybe it'll sit in my closet or maybe, I don't know, maybe you'll see it somewhere. <laughs> we'll see. I have a feeling it'll be great. So on the note of, have you started thinking of physical production like how you'll go about you know even just like what kind of crew you'd have there how big it would be anything like that or are you more still just uh hashing out the story yeah i think it's gonna be me as a crew so when i unless unless like i might reach out to the university of iowa and see if there's any students that maybe want to come down and and shoot but i know like with my nephews like production wise i don't think i want to shoot more than maybe two, three, four hours at a time. I yeah. don't think it would be productive to try to do eight-hour days with them. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't think that would work. So it's going to be short days, and it's going to be spread out. So it's a little bit harder to have a crew in that sense. Yeah, definitely. It's also a small-town area. I don't, I mean, I don't really know of a lot of filmmakers around, but if there's someone, maybe some high school kids or somebody who's interested in learning about it, I'll definitely put some feelers out. But um, if it's just me, which... I got to tell you, I've done a lot where I'm the sound woman, the camera operator, the director, the, you know, Mm -hmm. the lighting person. Um, I'm used to it. I do a lot of that kind of stuff. And if, and with them, I'm thinking it's got to be, it's got to be a camera that I don't have to worry about the focus, you know, like I'd love to use my Canon and stuff, but I don't, I'm not going to, especially if we're in the woods and stuff, I'm not going to be able to the terrain is really rough so i'm gonna need something that's small and that's lightweight and i'd love to have something where i could have the sound sync so i don't have to do it myself because that's a lot of work but um, so yeah i've been thinking about it but i don't have it i haven't set a camera just yet but i the crew will probably be me and maybe one other person if i'm lucky Mm mm-hmm 
or maybe one of my nephews, if they're not in the scene, can help me out. <laughs> <laughs> so if someone was to come up to you and ask, you know, I'm doing this micro-budget feature, any advice? What would you have for them? Again, very general question, but floor is yours. Um, I would say, you know, what's your? I I would say, are you? What's your story? And are you passionate? You know, passionate about it? And is it something that you think other people would want to see? And if so, who's your audience? Like, I think that's important. Kind of knowing who you're playing to, um, knowing the tone of it, asking yourself what the budget is. What do you have for money? You know, what kind of equipment? Um, who do you have? Like what, whether it's actors or, or, or a crew or a colorist, you know, or an editor, or are you doing it? You know? Um, yeah, that, I think this micro budget film world just, it's kind of funny because that's everything I've ever made. Like my short film, I remember I was at a festival and people were spending, uh, they asked the budget and this one guy was like 50,000 another guy what? was like 70,000. Another one was 130,000. And they asked me, and I'm not kidding. It was like two, three hundred bucks, and I was like a thousand dollars, because I was like, I can't say two, three hundred dollars. That's embarrassing, you know. Yeah. And so I said a thousand, you know, like, and I thought I was stretching. I knew I was stretching on that because honestly, maybe if you count like festival submissions, we spent a thousand, but I don't even think we spent that. And I mean, that's just how I've always made films. Like, I do think people should get paid for the work. Don't get me wrong, but at the same time, like. I don't know, it's always me and my friends, we just grab our camera and, you know, we go film something, you know, and we all have a good time and try to tell a good story, so, um, I love that it's exciting me, but it's something I've always done, but for some reason, now that it has an official title and, you know, other people are doing it, it's, and it's cool, I'm like, yeah, go do it, go make your microphone, <laughs> I think, because, like, when I first came into the world, you know, moved to LA, it was early 2000s, and people were spending a half, I was joking before, but, I mean, but people really did spend a half a million, a million dollars on their films. And it was so sad because they were never going to recoup that, you know, it just wasn't going to happen. And I think even now when you can spend five, six, seven thousand dollars, you may never recoup it, but it doesn't have that sting to the wallet that yeah. it used to, you know yeah, what I mean? Definitely. Like it's not the end all be all. It just made me not going on vacation for a couple of years, you know? Yeah, for sure. So here's a little follow up question for you on that same note. It, if someone came up to you, and I remember you mentioning earlier, some people would say, I've had this script for 10 years, I'm just holding out, someone just give me a little bit of money. If they, someone like that came up to you and said, I've, I have this script, you know, I don't need much, 250, 500 grand, um, would you suggest, like, keep pushing forward, find investors, or would you say, man, try and cut that budget down, just do it yourself? Like, what do you think would be just be better for their career in the long run? I'd ask a couple questions. I'd say, is there any way you could cut that budget down? Mm -hmm. If they're like, no, man, I am literally at, like, the lowest end. I'd say, okay, great. Make that your third or fourth film. Okay. Go make a film for five, ten thousand dollars $10,000. I'd say, because here's the thing. Your first couple films are not going to be, there's a few exceptions, so just know there's exceptions. There's always exceptions. But most people's first few films, first couple films, aren't that good. Like, they make mistakes because you're learning. Like, you're figuring it out, you know, especially if you haven't done a lot of short films. Mm -hmm. So it's like, why why do that to your baby, you know? Don't you want to give it the second or, like, the third or fourth run, like, when you've learned and have more skills and, and give it the, the attention it deserves? And hopefully by then when you've made – you know, two or three other films for a few thousand or 10,000 and each one, maybe increase each one if, some, if people are willing to give you the money. 
and you can show return on their investment, people are going to be way more inclined to invest in you. And not only that, but you have works that they can draw upon and be like, this person, this person can make that film and I have no problem giving them $250,000, you know, but if this is really your baby, if this is a story you want to tell and it's super important to you and you don't want to cut corners, then, then wait till you have the money, but go tell another story, you know, because that'll help lead you, I think, to maybe getting the money the next time or the, the next time after that, you know? Yeah. A lot of filmmakers have done that. And the thing is, like, people wait and wait and wait and wait, and it's their baby, but it's like, you've got to have more than one story, you know? You know? I mean, you can't just have one, right? I mean, <laughs> I've got, like, 20 in me right now, and I'm just, like, bursting at the seam to tell as many as I can, you know? But at the end of the day, the one I'm going to tell this summer doesn't isn't going to cost me much, you know? And if I can... And if I can shoot that one and then turn around and shoot the, the script that I've been working on, you know, this spring, then I'm going to do it. If I can shoot it this fall, like, maybe, who knows, maybe I'll shoot two features in one year. I mean, that would be awesome, right? But oh, yeah. I think the, the biggest gift that I've ever given myself, and I know this is going to sound crazy, is I'm giving myself permission to make my movie. Yes. And it was like, I've been waiting for someone to tell me I could do it. And I, I don't know why, but, like, I just gave myself one day in April of you know 2018 sarah rose gave herself permission and <laughs> there was freedom in that you know and like i said i it doesn't have to be perfect and that's what's even more freeing about it and i think what scared me personally is having worked with so many indie filmmakers who spent thousands and thousands and thousands and millions sometimes on these films and didn't make their money back and maybe they weren't that great I think that scared me, because when I first moved out to L.A., man, I was fearless. You know, I went out there with $1,500 in my wallet, and I was like, I'm rich. <laughs> I'm kidding. I remember someone <laughs> left a, their receipt on the ATM, and it was like $5,000. Like, who is that? They're rich. You know, I'm sitting there, like, drawing $800 out of my, you know, I had 800 bucks in my account. And um, anyway, uh, kind of went on a tangent there. But, yeah, just having that, that faith in, in the the freedom, and I think I think some exciting things are happening in the microfilm budget world, and I'm super excited. And you know, I want to support other people too. I don't, you know, I think that's what what really gets me excited is I notice on Twitter. Like I I joined Twitter in 2009, and like people were on there, but no one was really on there. If you know what I mean. Yeah. And it's like I joined um, Snapchat. When it first came out, you know how the pictures were on there for 30 seconds? Yeah. And, like, no one else was on there. So, it's like, I post a picture and no one saw it, literally, because in 30 seconds it disappeared. So, I quit. So, I was like, well, no one's on here. And just kind of coming back to the Twitter world in the last six months. And it's such an amazing, beautiful community. It and really I, is. you know, just in the last couple months, like, I met you. Yeah. And I'm just meeting. And I love supporting other people's films. I love when people say, I'm making my film. And I'm just like, that's awesome. Because I think there's something so... Because I know what it means to make a film. I know how, like, that's, it's such an honor and such a privilege. And if you have the courage to do that, I think that's incredible. And I think you deserve to be acknowledged for it and supported for it. I couldn't agree more. And maybe I don't have a lot of money to give you, but I can tell you congrats and keep going and cheer you on or watch your trailer. And, you know, I don't know. Like, I, I think we can, we filmmakers can support each other. And I think there's something special about the indie community world. And how we really can rally together and support each other and um, give voice, you know, give a platform for our voices. And that's pretty incredible. Yep, I couldn't agree more. 
All right, so I really only have one other question for you, and I think this is a lesson that not many filmmakers think about. And you have a lot of experience in marketing. And I think when people go into these movies, especially when, you know, they have no money, especially for marketing, they just don't think about it. They go make their movie, and then it's like, oh, man, I have a movie. How do I get people to see this? So for people in those shoes, what would you tell them? They come up to you and say, hey, how do I do marketing? What would you say? Well, I mean, I feel like I'm a broken record, but I mean, I think it's important to know who your audience is and start yeah. developing them right away. It costs you nothing to get a Twitter account. It costs you nothing to go on Instagram. It costs you nothing to make a YouTube channel. And if you're making a film, share that with people. Start, you know, take production stills, take candids, you know, document your experience, you know, as much as possible and start to build that buzz because that costs you nothing but some time. And you're already on set. You're already talking with your actors. You're already, you know, you're already doing a lot of that. You're, everything's set up for you. So if you just, you know, create a like, little checklist, like make sure I take a photo for Instagram today. Make sure, you know, this week I do a three-minute video on, on YouTube, you know, talking about the week. Because people, people want to be a part of it. People want to experience that. And your audience, the more you can do that, the more your audience is going to be even hung more hungry to see your film, you know. And you start to build it through that experience. So that's six months of just kind of building through the process of, right? And then in regards to once your film is complete, um, that's where I think like crowdfunding might, might be your friend because you have an audience hopefully through social media, maybe not a huge audience yet, but you've, you've started to build something, right? And you have material to show them. You know, you're like, this film is done. Now I just want to share it with the rest of you. And here's what we need, you know? Um, if you happen to have a budget already, then I would encourage you to set it aside. I'd encourage you to... Maybe you can't afford a publicist, but you can certainly afford an assistant to a publicist. You know, a lot of those people, same way assistants to agents, you know, they want to be an agent one day. The publicist, the assistants to publicists want to be publicists one day too, you know. Um, and maybe they'll work for free or maybe they'll work for a little bit, you know. So if you can set some money aside if, in your budget, but ultimately, like with micro budget, if you really don't have anything, I think if you can make your film and then know that you might be doing some crowdfunding, crowdsourcing, um, uh, you know, crowdsourcing while you're making your film and then maybe you look into crowdfunding after, but be smart about it. Don't be crazy asking for a bunch of money and then, you know, do some test screenings with people you trust and see if you can, you know, clean up some of the film. You know, a lot of people start submitting to festivals right away without ever testing their film. Um, don't lock your picture and then, you know, start submitting and then come to find out you need to make, you need to, you know, open the cut back up and make some changes. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that's where your, your, your filmmaking family comes into play. It is something to ask people, but maybe make it, make it a party, make it be fun. Like invite people over, you know, have a dinner, you know, like have fun with it, I guess, you know, and be like, look, this is a work in progress, but I really value your opinion. Can you guys, I'm going to invite about five people over. I want to screen my film you know, and get some feedback on that. And then, you know, and then be honest with yourself. Is this really a festival film? It might not be, you know, and that's okay. Or it's maybe not a Sundance film, but maybe it's a different kind of festival, you know? Mm -hmm. um, because festivals are expensive, oh, you know? Yeah. I mean, you can spend a lot of money and it's literally going down the drain, you know? Um, because your film, 
probably will never get in because a lot of times those slots are already full. It's about who you know. Occasionally some random film gets in and you're like, how did that get in there? You know? Yeah. But, um, and pay attention. Like, when you apply to the festival, look and see who they had the previous year. What kind of films were they admitting, you know? And if your film doesn't fall into that, it might not make sense to spend the $65 entry fee, you know? And maybe invest it in a festival that um, is more in line with the message of your film. But I'd also encourage you, if you don't go the festival route, there's some amazing platforms online that are distributing indie films, you know, that you can even make some money off of. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. There's a lot to go off of, but I hope that answered your question. It is good. It is good. It brings me to one follow-up question, and it's actually something I'm dealing with in this next feature I'm prepping which I want to ask you about the flow of information that you give to your audience. So one of the things uh, I learned with my first feature party stories was we started throwing stuff up online, say, three months before we shot. And we had a pretty good amount of stuff. We did some promo videos and made sure there was a good amount of content. And then when we went on to set, you know, you get all kinds of pictures and stuff. So you, you have a lot of content then. But then when you go into editing, like there isn't too much to share because not a lot of people want to see a picture every day of you and the editor behind a computer, right? The back of your head with the monitor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So one thing we're messing around with on our next feature is controlling that flow of information and when our audience gets it to the point where we haven't even really officially announced our next feature and we start shooting in four weeks so the idea now is we're going to announce it right before we film slowly throw out information and we'll have a ton of stuff that we'll get while being on set so having said all that what would you recommend to indie filmmakers would you recommend get your info out as soon as possible even if it's a little dispersed like you'd only do one thing every week or two or would you say wait till you have a good amount of it and then have a constant feed to your audience what do you think would be best from what I know about marketing, it's about attention span, and everybody's just getting shorter and shorter and shorter. Yeah. So I'm kind of what I mean. I'll, I'll tell you once I make mine, but what what I'm doing is very similar to what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Is I'm gonna gather stuff, you know, like pre-production stuff that I'm working on, and just different, you know, story meetings, taking photos, whatever I can to start building my my stuff I want to share with my audience, you know. Yeah. And then I'm going to be strategic about, I, I have to make that decision. I haven't figured that out yet, but am I going to do something once a week, twice a week, three times a week? Like what's the flow that I want to go with? And I want to be consistent with that because if you're not consistent, there's no point in doing it at all. You know, yeah, like, you if you have a, and I think you lose your audience. <laughs> I think you're right. Like if you, you know, do all this stuff while you're in production and then there's three months where you basically go, you know, radio silent. Your audience, they check out, they forget, you know? Yeah, Um, definitely. So I'm kind of in the vein you are. However, I'm doing it a little bit different in that I'm going to be editing as I'm filming. You know, so maybe my plan is to shoot for three or four hours a day and then spend three or four hours editing at night. Um, So hopefully by the, I don't know, maybe you are doing that. I'm sorry, I I don't know. No, yeah. Uh, (laughs) But because mine is going in chronological order and because I want to make sure it makes sense and if something's terrible, we'll just reshoot or if the idea doesn't work, I have that flexibility. Um, So, but I still want to be able to do something I can manage because truth be told, I don't have money to hire, you know, a social media marketer. So it's something I'm going to, something I'm going to have to be able to do and be the director and be the cinematographer and, you know, be the editor. So I want to make sure it's something manageable 
but I want to be consistent. And I think, and I don't want to just send out random photos, but I also want to keep up with what I've been trying to do and, and it, 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 with what I am doing is I want to make sure I'm still able to share content that isn't about me, that I just think is incredible, like whether it's something you're working on or an article that, you know, someone else has written or, you know, like I want to, I think it's not, it's not just about me and what I'm doing. I, I want to be able to, you know, keep up with what everybody else is doing too. And I think that's important. I think sometimes when people are making a project, um, you know, R.B. Votto has talked about this and I couldn't agree more. You know, it's like one article about yourself and then nine articles about someone else, you know, other people, other yeah. things, you know, like if it's all about you all the time, it, it's not only, it's not that it's bad. It's just that I can't separate it from anything else that you've done. I'm like, oh, it's just another picture that you're posting. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. or it's just another thing. But if you sprinkle it out, then you leave me hungry for, I'm like, I get excited when someone shares a production photo that is, doesn't normally share one every day or, you know, I'm like, oh my God, that looks amazing. I can't wait to see what, you know, the trailer or whatever, you know, or when you go back to production. So, but it's because they haven't bombarded me with 50,000 of the same image, basically, <laughs> just a different yeah, angle, definitely. you know? So, but I think, um, I think what you're doing is smart and I, I'd love to talk to you about it more and see how that goes and see what you're, what you've got from that. Cause yeah, of course. I, I'm kind of the same vein. I, I think editing it's hard to make editing, um, I mean, editing sexy as hell, don't get me wrong, I love yeah. editing, but it's visually not something people love to watch happen. Yeah, know? of course, of course. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like I said, anything you need, just let us know. Uh, so yeah, I think that's all the questions I have. I'd love to have you on, you know, whether it be mid-production on your film or when you finish it for a second, you know, like, how'd you do it? But before we go, is there any other thing you'd like to throw out to the audience? Any lesson or just anything you'd like to talk about? Well, just thank you for allowing me to be on the show. And, you know, anybody who's listening, I'm on Twitter at Servos Images. Uh, direct message me if you have a question or if you want to share something with me. Um, I just, I think how we all get better as filmmakers is that we, you know, we share and share information and tips and, and help each other out when we can. And, um, I'm here for people, so feel free to contact me. You know, my website, sarahrosebergman.com. Um, you know, I'd love to meet more filmmakers, more micro-budgeters. I'd love to, you know, share your tips and tricks with me, what, what you've been doing or what you're up to. Um, and I think that's, that's awesome and love to meet more people. So, I don't know. I don't have any huge words of wisdom. <laughs> no, no, that's totally fair. You've had many during this episode. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. Thanks for being on the show. Uh, everyone, this is once again has been Filmcraft. I'm Matt Ralston. You can find me at Matt Ralston Film. And this is Sarah Rose Bergman. You said you were Sarah Rose Image on Twitter? Uh, gosh, I don't even know my own handle. Is that terrible? I think it's Sarah Rose. <laughs> is it Sarah Rose Image? It's Sarah Rose Images. S-A-R-A-H-R-O-S-E-I-M-A. G-E-S. All right, so there it is. Check her out. Uh, she's fantastic. And the whole time we've been talking, right through everything you've been hearing, you're a fantastic guest. Thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you. All right, so yeah, this uh, i got to give a little shout-out to the sponsor here. This has been uh, brought to you by Pippa. It's pippa.io, podcast hosting service. They're fantastic. They give you unlimited hosting. Put as many hours you want up on there, unlike SoundCloud where they cap you out at like 30 before they start charging you. Uh, they give you free transcripts. They give you a free sniper tool, which you can take 20 seconds of your podcasting, turn it into a little audio gift. They're very affordable. I still haven't looked it up. I think it's like 9, 12 bucks a month. And yeah, they're very accommodating. So, pippa.io. Check it out. So,
Well, we'll see you next time, guys.